Good morning, everyone. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, as my wife said, uh, we're going to take an offering at this time. And if you're visiting with us, that's not really intended for you. But if you are a part of our family, faith, thank you for your faithful, faithful uh, joyful giving. Um, you know, we watch that video. I, I think sometimes we wonder, why do I, why do I go to work every day? Why, why do I go through the daily grind? What, what difference am I going to be able to make? And it was as simple as someone looking, listening, and loving someone who they're working with. Say, hey, there's, things are not right. Let's, let's talk. So I, I think through that we saw Joanna express that she was drawn to Jesus. And I think that many of us could probably tell some of that story in our own lives, right? So how many of you, I mean, in your mind, think through, were drawn in part to understanding who Jesus is by the compelling life of somebody else? I know that for me, it's part of my story. It's part of my wife's story. When we were at UW-Madison, we saw some upperclassmen who, whose lives were compelling. And we, we were asking questions as, where did they get that piece from? What, what is that? And we want that relationship. Now... Um, if this is part of your story, uh, Sue, I've got a next slide here. I want, I want to put this number. If, if part of your story is that you have seen someone's else, someone else's life has been compelling to you, I would encourage you to take out your phone now and just tune me out for a few minutes here and text just, just a snippet of that. Say, someone uh, was compelling and drew, helped draw me to Jesus Christ. You can text that to that number. The reason why we want you to do that is because we like to celebrate the things that we value. And we want to celebrate this when that happens in your life because we value Jesus changing our own lives, and then doing it not just firsthand, but secondhand and thirdhand as well. We are in a series called Compelling Christianity, and um, we are in this letter, uh, uh, Titus, where the Apostle Paul has this companion, this trusted companion. You want to guess what his name is? It's Titus. You guys are on it this morning. Good, yeah. So Titus, and, and Paul was giving Titus some instructions to these newly formed families of faith on the island of Crete because uh, things had gone a little sideways. And so um, last week, Mike opened up the letter for us and looked at how critical leadership is, godly leadership is, not only to the church, but to the world at large. And this morning, as we're going to continue to dig in this letter, here's what we're going to see. As followers of Jesus, we are called away from living lives of corruption and towards living compelling lives. Okay? So we're called away from lives of corruption and towards lives that are compelling. That's what we're going to see. This morning... um, I brought a flash, a flash drive with me, and I found this in my desk this week, and it had been in my desk for 10 years, okay? And, and you can tell it's 10 years old because of its size, his external size, but its internal size is only a gig. Like, who has a gig flash drive anymore, right? So this has been sitting in my desk for 10 years. Uh, this was, I took with me on my first trip to Africa about 10 years ago, and this is corrupted. It's corrupted because when I was in Africa at some point, I put this into a PC to, to dig some files there. And I, I know it's corrupted because when I brought it back home from Africa, I plugged it into my laptop and, and opened some files up. And the next thing you know, my entire, it's, it's just done. My, my laptop was fried. It was done. It's corrupt. Now, do you want to know what files are on this flash drive? Do you want to know? So do I. Uh, I have no idea what files in this flash drive because I don't put this in any computer. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not. You know, if I were to ask you, hey, you want to go put this in your laptop and draw, draw the files up for me? You're like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing that. Why? Well, because it's corrupted. And this has this tiny thing has the capacity to corrupt any environment that it's, that it's plugged into. 
I think if we're really honest, the same is true for you and me. This is us. The same is true for you and me. We are corrupted in a variety of different ways. And I think it's easy for us to see the corruption in others. It's easy for us to see the dysfunction in others. What's hard for us to do is to see that we, too, are corrupted. And, it's, and it's, sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's, it's very often it's very subtle the ways that we're corrupted. It can be very subtle. It can be as subtle as when someone else gets praise, instead of us we become envious and we think we, wanna, we actually want to push that person down because we're jealous. It could be as subtle as when someone needs to confront us on something, we become immediately, instantly defensive, overly so, and attack back. It could be as subtle as seeing our children as better than someone else's children. It could be as subtle as us seeing our problems as bigger than or greater than someone else's problems. It could be as subtle as uh, not responding to someone because you're angry with them and you're going to hold that over them. Lots of different, I would say literally endless ways subtly that we are corrupted and not so subtly corrupted in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. And what happens when we're corrupted is it brings tension in our relationships, it brings dysfunction in our relationships, and ultimately it brings destruction to our relationships. So I think the question that we may want to be asking, it's a question I think I ask is, if we're corrupted, can God take this corruption and make us into a compelling people? Can God take our corruption and make us into compelling people? This is what we're going to be looking at. So let's see. Grab a Bible. Uh, there's brown Bibles under your chairs, or if you brought your Bible with you, we're going to be in the letter of Titus. It's on page 844 in the brown Bibles. You should have one under your chair. There's a bunch of them out there. But strongly encourage you to open one of those up and, and turn there and read along with me as we go through this. Now, the Cliff Notes version of Titus, as you go there, is that Titus was a Greek follower of Jesus. So not a, he didn't have a Jewish background or a Hebrew background, okay? So he was a Greek follower of Jesus. He was a trusted companion of the Apostle Paul. And Paul had tasked Titus to go to the island of Crete. Uh, and, and one of the things he had tasked him to do was to appoint leaders there because things had gotten off track because some of the leaders had gotten off track. And if you were here, last week we showed a video from the Bible Project that introduced kind of the letter overall. And you learned from that video that the Cretan culture was very corrupt. It was very corrupt. In fact, the the Greek word kratidzo comes from the word Crete. Kratidzo meant to be a liar, to be a Cretan. So like their hometown or their home island became a verb. Like you Cretan, which means you liar. Okay, so kratidzo means, this is a very corrupt culture. So these followers of Jesus were living in a very corrupt culture. And some of you were like, man, that sounds so unfamiliar. I have no idea. I couldn't relate at all. Okay. So in the midst of this, they were called to be a compelling people in the midst of the corruption. And the question they were asking is probably the same. Can, can God make us a compelling people in the midst of this corruption and the corruption of ourselves? And the, the answer is going to be yes. The answer is yes. Paul's going to show us this morning. The way to move from corrupt lives to compelling lives is through number one, sound doctrine, and number two, sound faith. This is what we're going to see in the text we're going to read. The way to move from corruption to compelling is through number one, sound doctrine, and number two, sound faith. We're going to break those down. Now, some of you are going to, like, if you hear doctrine, I'll come back to it, but just doctrine may kind of cause you to go like this. Let's give Paul a a voice in this before we make that judgment. Let's start by looking at Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what we see. 
He's finishing up some of his instructions to the elders here in this verse. It says, he, he, an elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Paul is, again, he's concluding, saying, hey, this is what the elders need to do. They need to hold firmly to the trustworthy message. They need to hold firmly to this. What is the message? The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, and the implication that it has on all of our lives. That is the trustworthy message. Now, when he talks about here, he says, encourage others by sound doctrine. Let's just be honest. The word doctrine gets a bad rap, doesn't it? I think doctrine gets a bad rap. We kind of throw it into a category of words like the word dogma. And what we do is we see those words and we go, eh, like, I don't want that. We think, like, when we think the word doctrine, we think someone's trying to indoctrinate me or trying to, someone's trying to brainwash me. He's like, I'm not into that. I don't want, I'm not into doctrine. You keep your doctrine away from me. But here's the thing. We all have doctrines. We all hold the doctrines and we all teach them. The word here uh, in Greek means an instruction or teaching. That's what doctrine means. And all of us have doctrine. This time of year, I have friends who have really strong doctrine that is pro-flu shot. I have some friends who have some very anti-flu shot doctrine. Okay? I have some friends who have a very pro-spank-your-kids doctrine. I have some friends who are very anti-spank-your-kids doctrine. I have friends who have a very uh, shop locally doctrine, and I have friends who have a very Amazon Prime doctrine. Okay? Like, we all have doctrines. So let's not pretend that we're above doctrines, that we're like, well, I don't hold any doctrines. We have doctrines all the time. Paul is talking about a specific doctrine here, and he says, Titus, I need you to instruct them. They have to hold fast to the trustworthy message of Jesus Christ, which is an encouraging message. The sound, here, here's what I need you to understand. The sound doctrine of the gospel is an encouraging doctrine. In fact, it is the most encouraging message anyone can hear. Because it doesn't matter your stage of life, your age, it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, it does not matter whether you are married, whether you are single, it does not matter your ethnicity, your family size, your accomplishments, or your failures. Jesus Christ is good news. Some of you might be there thinking, wait a minute, Troy, what about all that talk about sin and death and hell and God's wrath? That doesn't sound like good news. No, that is not good news. The good news is Jesus Christ is the answer to all of those things. To sin, to death, to hell, to God's wrath. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's good news. In fact, those things that are bad news help us to understand the good news better. Ladies, tell me this. When you go to a mam- to get a mammogram and you come back and the results come back and the, the, the results are clear, is that good news? It's very good news. I can tell you from personal experience that when my wife comes back from a mammogram and gets a clear mammogram, it's better news. And the reason why it's better news is because of, of four rounds of chemo, radiation, and half of her breast being removed. The bad news that she has experienced through that help us to understand and appreciate the good news of a clear mammogram much better. And I know some of you are here, she's not the only one that understands that good news, how great it is when we understand how bad the news is. And so sin, death, hell, God's wrath, they are, they are, 
answered in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has taken on our sin, on our death, given us that which we do not deserve, which is his life. That is the trustworthy and encouraging message. And you know what? Sin, death, hell, God's wrath, those aren't the only discouraging things in life either, are they? You know what else is really discouraging and bad news? Living a life without meaning and purpose. That's also discouraging, isn't it? But it happens all the time. You know what else is discouraging? Hating yourself. Being insecure. That's not encouraging, but it happens all the time. You know what else isn't encouraging? Having the weight of something you have done decades ago hanging over you. Not encouraging, but it happens all the time. You know what else isn't encouraging? Harboring unforgiveness towards someone else for generations. Never being content. Never feeling loved. Feeling rejected. Never achieving enough. None of these things are encouraging, folks. You know what? Jesus Christ is the good news to every one of those situations. The gospel is good news. It is so encouraging. That's why Paul says, encourage others by sound doctrine, sound teaching. And again, that sound doctrine and teaching is pretty simple. Here's what you deserve, death. Here's what you are given, life. Jesus is righteous. He has no sin. You are sinful and have no righteousness in you, and he swaps out. He takes your place and gives you that, gives us, gives us that which we do not deserve. It's good news. So here's the thing. If you find someone who's leveraging Jesus Christ in a way that is not very encouraging, they may not be holding fast to the trustworthy message of the good news of the gospel of grace. And this is what was sort of happening on the island of Crete. And Paul's fighting against this because he, what was happening is there were some Jewish background folks who started to follow Jesus, but they got swept back into religious rules and rituals that, that were not the good news. They were not, this, Paul's like, this is not the way to go from corrupt to compelling. And this is what he was up against. So let's finish this uh, chapter out and see what kind of Titus and Paul were up against here. Here's, here's what we see in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets, this is Epimenides, he said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. So we saw sound doctrine, now we see sound faith. And we'll pay no attention to Jewish myths or the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So here, here's what was happening. There were, they were people in the, the, the early church, the followers of Jesus, who were again drawing, drawing the people back towards rules and back towards religious rituals. And Paul says these, these guys were going from house to house, they're ruining houses, they have to be silenced. And they have to be silenced because they're not sharing the encouraging good news of the gospel. Now, I understand that when it says they must be silenced, you're kind of like, you know, you know, what's he doing here, you know? Putting on a silencer, you know, is, is this like Luca Brazzi, you know? There's some in the church that need to be silenced, you know what I'm saying? 
We're going to have to take care of this. This isn't what he's saying. If you look, it says, it says, rebuke them so that they will be sound in the faith. He's looking to restore them. He's looking to restore them because they're not sharing the encouraging news of the gospel. My, uh, my children occasionally will re- rebuke me. And, and that's okay. I actually give them permission to rebuke me. I'll give you an example. We, we have something in our house where they're, they're oftentimes annoying. But just, they're just annoying. Uh, they're annoying to each other. And so when that happens, we say, hey, there's a code word. You say, please stop. Whatever it is you're doing, don't just yell stop. You say, please stop. And when you say, please stop, it means you should stop. But when they don't, we, we as parents will have to step in and say, hey, be respectful. This is where we stop. Now, there are times where I'm tickling my children and they say, please stop. And I don't. Okay? Because it's too much fun for me. And, and, and so the children will rebuke me. And they'll say, you are not being respectful. Some of you have been in my house and my children rebuke me. I'm okay with that. I want my children to rebuke me so that we can be restored. I want my children to rebuke me so not only they will know I'm sound in what I say or what I believe, my instruction, my doctrine, but I'm sound in my faith, that I'm living out what I believe. This is so critical. To be sound in our, in our teachings and understand what we believe about the good news and then living it out. See, Paul says in verse 14, they were drawing them back. He says, rebuke them so they pay no attention to Jewish myths or the commands of those who turn away from the truth. Because they were turning back to these religious rules. Now, because Crete was such a mess, I want you to think Tortuga, if you're familiar with the, uh, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay? Crete. Tortuga. Okay? Like a pirate island. Because it was such a mess, there was, I think, apparently a draw towards rules. There was a draw towards this. And Luke, uh, Professor Luke Timothy Johnson, he paints a picture in this next slide. There's three bullets here I just wanted to walk through. Here's what he says was going on on this uh, next slide. First, this was a Christianity, he says, which was new and immature. Second, it was not only planted among Gentiles who lacked the moral instructions of Torah. That means they didn't have the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures of what God designed to kind of have his guardrails. But they didn't even have civilized behavior, Okay. Third, their immorality was exploited by aggressive Jewish Christians who offered them a highly sophisticated code of behavior. Like they, basically, here's what's going on. Cretans were ripe for rules. They were ripe for rules. On Friday night, I was here uh, doing some trauma training with Dr. Melinda Cathy and a group of people who are being trained in uh, trust-based relational intervention. And uh, she referenced uh, uh, Dan Siegel, who wrote a book on the whole brain child. Anyway... Um, she was using this in terms of a, a drawing, in terms of mental health, and, and so I'm not really, I'm not a mental health practitioner, so per se, I, I'm not going to use it for that, but she, she said, Dan Siegel drew, draws a river and says, the way it's supposed to go is, we're supposed to go and flow with the river, and this is kind of mental health, if you would, that's how they use it. I, again, I'm not going to assess that, but when I saw this diagram, I was like, this is Crete. So, so there's a river, we're supposed to flow with it, but on the one bank, we find chaos, and on the other bank, we find rigidity. Okay? And, and so we're supposed to flow. Jesus Christ is the river we're supposed to be flowing with. He's God's will, God's sovereignty. We're supposed to be living in light of Him. But what happens is we can sometimes go like this instead from one bank to the other. Some of you know people who in your lives who maybe grew up in a home that was extremely rigid. Really unflexible. And as soon as they got an oar and a, or a paddle and a canoe, they're over here. Like, I'm out. 
no rules. Some of you might know those who grew up in a home, maybe, or had a background where there was nothing. There was no structure. It was a free-for-all. And they were drawn to rigidity. And it's just boom, boom, boom. And so we see in Crete, I think this is what was happening. They were here, and they're like, okay, it's easy for us to fall. There's some structure, some rules. Just uh, last weekend, my mother-in-law and father-in-law graciously sponsored a trip uh, for just two days or so for Stephanie and I to go see her sister in New York with them. And so we put on 24 miles of walking in like two days in New York. And one of the places that we walked was in, in lower Manhattan on the bike path. Now, I'm not sure if how many of you are familiar what happened there. But like the next day that after we had flown out of there, there was a man who took a truck, rented a truck, and drove down that bike path right where we were and killed eight people, drove over them. Now, I, there's more details to come out on all this. There's probably much more to be done and figure out what was going on. But what I understand is that that guy wasn't radicalized overseas and then sent here. He was here and radicalized here. And there's a chance, I'm not saying this would happen, but there's a chance that what happened was he was in New York and he was, he was like, I'm in Crete. Like, this is chaos. And what I need is some structure in some way out of this. And so radical Islam was an answer for him, potentially. This is what we see. But this is not the gospel. The gospel is neither chaos nor rigidity. It's not liberalism nor legalism. It's flowing in. And living out the good news of the encouraging, trustworthy message of Jesus Christ. Paul says it's not chaos or controlling, it's freedom. And so we have to have, number one, a sound doctrine. We have to have a sound faith and live that out. Again, Paul says, rebuke them so that they will be sound in the faith. Because these leaders were not walking the walk. In verse 16 he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we claim, uh, we claim Jesus, but we live like we deny Him. And one simple way I think that we live like we deny Him is the, the discouragement that we live with and the way that we respond to things. I think oftentimes as Christians, what we do, we do what everyone else does. We watch the news and we go, oh goodness, oh here we go, turn that off. <gasps> this is what we do. We say, oh, they took prayer out of school, see? we got to get prayer back in school. Now, I'm, 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 yes. Well, in God we trust, it says right on our dollar. Get that back. Keep that there. This is what we do. We start freaking out. We get just as discouraged as the rest of the world does. You know, oh, my children, you see these cell phones, these cellular phones? They got access to just about, I mean, literally, and I get it. Like, just, they can have porn on their phone in one click, right? Like, it's not good. I get it. So I'm, I'm, I'm tracking, but, but here's the thing. We have to remember the majesty and the power of Jesus Christ is greater. We have to be encouraged. As, even as we look at this world, we have to be encouraged and we have to be encouragers. Say, we have the most encouraging, trustworthy message. That is true. Now, I am not saying that the gospel is all butterflies and fluffy bunnies. I just need to make sure that you understand what I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm not saying gospel is all... Okay? It's not all that. Paul elsewhere, he wrote this. He said, the gospel is the stench of death to those who are perishing. Okay, that does not sound super encouraging, does it? Hey, you guys want some stench of death. 
But you know what? Even that phrase is encouraging. Here's how this is encouraging. You ever smell nasty roadkill? Okay, like, you know what I'm talking about. You drive past it, the deer, they like have an orange dot on it, but they haven't picked it up yet. And a hot summer day, you drive past and you're like, wait, what was, what, what was, what was that? Oh my goodness, put the windows up. You know what I'm talking about? Even if you were in the vehicle and you can't see, like you're just, dang. That is some roadkill. The gospel is like smelling salt to us. It is meant to be like a smelling salt to wake us up, to help us realize that something is wrong. There is a stench of death, and it's not coming from the ditch. It's coming from here. It's coming from here. And instead of that stench of death, what we can have is the smell of life. The smell of life instead in Jesus Christ. Life now and forever. That is encouraging. Even the stench of death. And so Paul's urging these leaders that Titus would call them, call them out because they're, they're sharing a message. It's not the good news of the gospel. He says they're corrupted. They're corrupted. And I think what happens is when we look at these guys and read through this text, we're like, oh man, these guys were just wrong. This is corrupted. Look at these guys. And then we forget that that's us too. That's us. We are corrupted. It wasn't just the leaders in Crete. It's us. It's our sin that corrupts us. And, and like this flash drive, we can infect every environment we're plugged into. Now, if you're out there and you're my techie uh, brothers and sisters, you're savvy in this, you might say, well, Troy, okay, this only goes so far. Because really, there's no harm in plugging this into a laptop. You, there's a way out of this. You right-click and you click rebuild. You click rebuild and you can reformat this thing. This needs to be rebuilt. And so do we. So do we. And this is the trustworthy message that Paul says we have to share. That not only have we been rebuilt in Christ, but we can help others to see that it's able for them to be rebuilt as well. And he continues to rebuild us and reformat us. And God does this in the shape and image of his son. And we remember to do this. We're going to have sound doctrine and sound faith. What we believe and how we live that out. So, if you're here and you're going, okay, so what do I do and how do I apply this text? Here's one application. i got about four of them. First application is this. Do you know the trustworthy message of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ? Some of you might be here this morning, you, you don't know that message. You don't understand that Jesus has taken your place. That the good news is, is that your sin, that stench of death, can be replaced with His life. His true righteousness can be yours in spite of your sin. Some of you may be here and you've never done that. You've never said, God, can you please rebuild me? Only you can do it. And so the application is you look at this and say, if you're being led by the Spirit, to say, Spirit, show me. In the same way that, that I think Joanna was, was compelled by her friend and said, okay, I need, to, I need to figure this out and gave herself over and continues to do so to the Lord. Now, some of you have done that. You've trusted in Jesus Christ. Are you holding firmly to the trustworthy message of the good news? How about this? When you speak about your faith, does Jesus ever come up? Like when you talk about your faith, do you talk about this building? Do you talk about Kettlebrook? Do you talk about, are you talking about Jesus? When people come to you and ask you for wisdom or counsel, do you give them what the world would give them? Or do you give them Jesus? I'm not saying the world doesn't have truth to offer. I'm saying if we don't give people Jesus, we're ultimately not giving them what they need. 
Do we speak of Jesus and the trustworthy message about Him? Now, do you, do you have to... Uh, sorry, i got another one here. Another third application is to ask somebody who knows you in your life this question. And it's in your bulletin under one of the discussion questions. Ask someone that knows you, do I lead a life that is compellingly pointing towards Jesus Christ? Do you have the courage to ask someone that? If you don't, you may already know the answer. Do you have the courage to ask somebody who knows you? And you're not. Uh, this week I was prepping for this, and um, I wanted to ask that question. We've got my brother-in-law has a girlfriend who's known us for a couple years, and she just spent a weekend with us in New York. And so I was thinking through this and being convicted myself, and I'm like, do I lead a compelling life that points towards Jesus from an outsider's perspective? It's easy for you to say that I can speak up here for 35 minutes to you, and it sure, it sure looks like it. What about people who know me and have spent a lot of time with me outside of this? And so I asked her, hey, I'm not looking for affirmation. I want the truth. I don't want the, you might be my sister-in-law in the future kind of truth. I want, like, tell me the truth. And she responded back and took some time. as It was really cool to be able to process through that. So I would encourage you to ask someone and be willing to humbly acknowledge if there's ways that God needs to grow us in this. Do you need to go overseas to live a compelling life for Jesus? No, you don't. You need to go to work and look for people who are hurting, care about them, listen to them, and have peace. That's what we just saw in the video that Joanna demonstrated. That's how compelling it was. You don't have to do some of the things that you may think, per se, although God may call you to do some crazy, awesome things. Another uh, application is this. Can you take an inventory of how encouraging you are, especially when it comes to matters of faith? If people don't ever want to talk to you about religion, it might be because they're convicted by the stench of death. Okay? Like, it might be. But it may also be because you're, you're just not good news. You're just trying to argue. You're trying to win an argument instead of share good news. The good news of the gospel is encouraging. And that leads us to our final application is, is are you sharing the good news? See, what's amazing about flash drives is these little things are meant to have content put on them and then they're they're meant to be able to be transported wherever they go into whatever environment they're plugged into and then downloaded. You know, the message is on there. Wherever we go, we are meant to be plugged into that environment and to bring good news that is on here, that's been reformatted because of Jesus Christ. And, and brothers and sisters, when the encouragement of the gospel is coming out of our mouths and our lives, we're going to be compelling. And we're going to be those people that Joanna wants to be where she says, someone else would say, I want to have that light too. Isn't it amazing that our God can do that? He can take, take us from corrupt to compelling. Take us from infected to infectious. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you can take us from corrupted and help us to lead lives that are compelling. Not as we point to ourselves, not as we make ourselves important, but as we humble ourselves and as we make Jesus greater. As John the Baptist said, he must become greater, we must become less. May he be the message that we take. May he be the encouragement. May the trustworthy gospel be an encouragement. May we have sound doctrine and understanding the good news of Jesus. And may we live it out through sound faith. That what we say, we believe, we live out and act out an overflow of our hearts. May we do this, Father, so that you be glorified and others would understand the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, 
one of the ways that we're going to encourage one another at this time is we're going to gather around a table. Now, a lot of times we come to the table, the Lord's Supper, and we come like this. Because we know that God is reverent and He is holy and we need to be reverent and, and we need to be do that. And I, I get that. But this is also meant to be a time of celebration and a time of encouragement because of who we used to be and who we are now in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is... Um, Dave and the team is going to lead us through a couple songs. But during those songs, I'd ask you, there are five different tables. One, two, there's five throughout the gathering space. Is the gathering groups, we do this in smaller groups because the original uh, Last Supper was done in in family style, kind of smaller groups. And you're going to take the bread and the cup. And uh, there's, if you get to the table, there's a sheet. If one of you is a small group leader or a leader, you feel comfortable grabbing that sheet. It just tells you what to say and lead through some scripture on there. And, uh, And so a prayer. If you're here this morning uh, and you follow Jesus, we don't care about your background. We we just want to know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the good news? If he is the good news, if he is encouragement, and he has saved you from your sins, and death, and hell, and God's wrath, and everything else in your life that he is saving you from, we invite you to partake in this with us. And so go up in groups when you're ready, And then sit back down as we encourage one another by being reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done. So let me pray again as we prepare our hearts for that. Father, we are overwhelmed with encouragement. Because the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, who we... We want to lift up together as a family this morning. Father, we admit, we come before you and we confess. Those, those who you um, have placed the Spirit in our hearts and drawn towards yourself, we confess that we are corrupted. That every environment we go into, we bring our own mess. We bring our own sin. But we're also convicted, Father, by your Spirit that we have been cleansed in Jesus Christ. And even though we are not perfect, you are still saving us and that you will one day ultimately save us. And so we come together around the table and we encourage one another as we break bread and drink the cup together to be reminded of the work, not the work that we've done, but the work that your Son Jesus has done. May we encourage one another with the good news as we celebrate. Bring us before your table, Father, and point us to your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.